Hello, 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 uh, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Hey Go, have a good one. I don't know whether to use the acronym or the full name at this point, so I'm just going to use both at the same time. But anyway, uh, here I am uh, with another guest. Uh, this time, it is a good friend of mine, uh, Matt. Uh, thanks for having me, Sam. <laughs> Hago fan. I've always called it Hago. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but I love what you do at Hago. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, Matt and I have uh, known each other for quite quite a long time. Um, yeah, ages. Yeah, like, actually, how many years would it have been at this point? Oh, I mean, geez, just since we started high school, I suppose. And um, came up through drama classes together, did a lot of... Um, Wrote a lot of things together, performed mm. um, fun sketches and stuff. Yeah, yeah, good times. <laughs> and uni, of course, we did, did a semester at uni. Yeah, yeah, you were the yeah. one who actually introduced me to the to the whole thing. I was like, yes, yes, and you... then I very quickly, um, <laughs> <laughs> very quickly fell off, and and you, um, history will show that you uh, are killing it in the um, in the game, but. Uh, <laughs> Wasn't for me. Mm, that's fair. That's fair. Um, <laughs> but um, in regards to all of the talk about acting and uh, all of that kind of stuff, uh, we have uh, uh, this episode is going to be dedicated to talking about uh, uh, the 1973 uh, movie called The Wicker Man uh, by Matt's request, actually. And actually, I'd been wondering, like, ever since you had suggested it, uh, what made you want to talk about this movie? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, a weird movie. Um, it's one of my favourite movies. Definitely my favourite English film. Oh, yeah. um, and I think it it's so fun, while it also has some points to make uh, about philosophical concepts of, of uh, ethics and... Um, comparative uh, ethical studies um, okay yeah cultural relativism being one of them um, but also uh, a big reason I picked it is because I, I suspected you'd like it uh, even though you can't be too <laughs> sure with this movie because it, it's so niche and strange there's always a chance someone will just just hate this film but <laughs> I, I thought you would like it Sam yeah, I mean, I certainly didn't hate it. Um, I would say that I quite liked it. Um, I, probably... I oh, yeah. I was just going to say, probably wouldn't rank it as, like, one of my favourites of all time. But uh, still, I liked it. Like, um... That's bad. Yeah. Um, I suspected you'd like it because it is a secret musical. <laughs> it actually, yeah. <laughs> this is a horror movie uh, that is different from most because it's all set in the daytime. Um, if you're into your horror movies, uh, Midsummer is a is a there is a film that came out just two years ago that takes a lot from this movie. Yeah, uh, I saw a, a lot of a, comparisons between the two being made. Totally. Yeah, they're they're cult horror uh, or or folk horror uh, movies, mm. and and it's a musical. Yeah, people break into song in this movie, <laughs> and the music is uh, is beautiful seventies um, folk. Uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of that kind of vibe going around. Like I remember, actually, I was thinking, 
I was like, it's funny that you mentioned that because it was like, um, uh, you know that bit where it's like uh, the guy first, um, am I Sergeant Howie? Uh, Sergeant Howie first goes into that bar and everyone starts singing and it's like he's just kind of standing there awkwardly just like what's going on here it was like first thing that I thought when I saw that was like this is basically what would happen if like a normal person got like sucked into like a musical world and he's just like what on earth is going on around here totally yeah Howie is not enjoying the mum nah not not the, the musically enhanced reality mode um, yeah, no. But but that I think that's what I love most about this movie. Um, uh, I guess I should say it's a movie about a, a, a religious police officer who goes to this island that uh, they're kind of pagans and they uh, believe in the old gods and he's trying to find a missing girl and uh, he comes to suspect that the girl might have gone missing in, in some... Uh, ancient ritual of sacrifice or something like that um but i think i think what makes this movie so different is how even though you're seeing this um culture that is so uh is so different to, to what you expect england to be you i think you learn a lot about howie's religion and christian christianity and, and i think that's that's what this movie is uh, kind of about, is, is about kind of, yeah, cultural relativism. The idea that, you know, um, you can't just think that everything that your people do is correct and then what someone else does is wrong. They have their ways and, and um, yeah, we will probably get more into it as we kind of go through it. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Um, yeah. Um... I will say the first time I'd actually heard of uh, the Wicker Man was like um, I'd first heard about the uh, the remake uh, that had Nicolas Cage starring in it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The highly memed 2006 remake. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, uh, Wicker Man uh, was the one where you got Nicolas Cage's uh, "Not the Bees" meme from. I I've never seen that movie. Um, because I'm such a devotee to <laughs> this one that it just feels like it would be sacrilege to, to go back and <laughs> and watch that. But um, you know, the funny thing about that movie that I've heard is that the not bees scene is not in the movie. It's a it's a it's cut. Yeah, it's like it's in like it's only in like the unrated uh, version or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So it's like it's not even in the official movie. <laughs> You've got to watch this movie, and then when you start to see bees, and apparently the whole thing is about bees, so it's hard to know when. You've got to pause <laughs> the movie, go to YouTube, look up, you know, whatever the compilation is. Nick Cage loses his mind for seven minutes. Watch <laughs> the full thing, and then go back to the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. But. What's interesting about this movie is it's the same. It it's um, uh, it, it was cut up when it was released. The studio I think went broke and was bought out by a bigger studio, and they didn't have faith in it. They they cut it, and um, basically the entire what fifty year history since it's come out has been trying to trace down all of these different versions to try and piece together one coherent. Um, version 
And I, the final cut, which I, I told you to watch, I think is the director's uh, favorite cut. He's happy with it now. But yeah, it took them took them like 40 years to get to that point. Oh, okay. Dang. Okay. I didn't uh, know about that. I knew that um, as far as like the money that it made, it like it came up at a loss as far as money went. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah it, I remember there was something like they um, brought it out and it wasn't successful. But then when they took it to America, even with very conservative states in the South and stuff, there were it had its fans. People um, people liked it in America. Oh. Uh, yeah, it was very interesting. But I guess I guess um, you know if you're watching this, you're seeing Howie, this Christian, uh, kind of become a motto against these these uh people so i can see why people would like it but uh, like i say i think it's equally critical critical of uh of any religion um mm. well i mean it is still like inherently like a rather adversarial thing because it's like it's still uh two different uh religious beliefs kind of almost like competing against each other sort of yeah yeah, um, and, and and at the the basis, I think, it, it, and this is this is the thing as well about this movie. There's lots of lines in it, and probably because there's still bits missing from it that there's lines that if you miss, it changes the entire your entire reading of the film. So there's lots of reasons to rewatch it, but one in particular is that, and, and this is, you know, this is a, a, an extended scene. I think you get this sense in the um, in the final cut. But Christopher Lee's character, Lord Summer Isle, the, the Lord of the Island, mm. admits that he's he's not a believer. He his grandfather came to the island because of its uh, ability to grow different fruits on Summer Isle, and he um, uh, he then that his grandfather used that to his advantage, and he reinstated this reverence for the old gods to kind of make this an agricultural society and um and essentially th- that was a way of getting people enthusiastic about harvesting so he could grow all of these these expensive and rare fruits so you get this sense that whether it be christianity or this pagan religion or, or any other at the very basis you have a landowning class that is exploiting that religion um for their own personal gain. I think that, and that's why it kind of feels equally critical of, of religion as a whole of this movie. Hmm. Let's see, let's see. Um, okay, well, I don't know, shall, maybe we'll just go through, like, um, through the story, through, like, the, I guess the point, the main plot points and all that. Like, we have oh. kind of done a bit of a brief summary of it all. Um, but yeah, it's like, it all begins with, um, a police sergeant, uh, named Howie going, um, to, uh, the island, uh, Samara, which is like somewhere like off the coast of Scotland, I believe. Um, and he's, uh, investigating the disappearance of a young girl, uh, that he apparently, uh, was it like, it was said was it like said to him that she was last seen there or like taken there um I yeah he, which it was he has a letter 
he has a letter. Um, uh, for, it was supposedly from the island, um, but I don't think it's it's from someone specifically. Hmm. Well, I mean, yeah. I think uh, it may have been... Okay, so I'm starting to question whether I saw, like, the director's cut version. But uh, the version that I saw was, like, he first goes and, like, speaks to a few locals asking about uh, this girl that's gone missing. Uh, and he mentions it being uh, a certain woman's daughter on the island. And it's, like, at first, like, the residents are, like, very like confused about it all but then it's like i think it's like he mentions the girl's name and then they're like oh no wait he mentions the woman's name and then he's like oh yeah they're like oh yes yes of course she's just over there and then it's like as he's leaving they're just like but wait uh she's not her daughter and then how he's like huh and then continues on yeah, he, he struggles to get any information from the locals. They, they stonewall him at, at every... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and they, just, they're all just, like, so smug. <laughs> right! <laughs> and they're like, you won't find her there. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's like, geez, this is a tough day at the office. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's all... Uh... Yeah. yeah, I think the first scene, actually, is not him going to the island. I think it's actually him at the church. Uh, and I think he's he's leading in prayer and and he takes the sacrament um, yes it that is he, actually the first scene i saw as well yeah he you know that's the ritual where drink the blood of christ and eat the body of christ and i think that's important as well because it sets up that he's a religious man but also that he's not he, he's not when he's offended by what he sees on the island he's not necessarily acting out of any more any greater rationality than them he's not saying you know what are you talking about magic doesn't exist why do you he's incredibly he believes in magic. he believes in this ritual where you drink jesus's blood you know but it's just that he is is so hard fast in his christian beliefs that mm. what he sees on the island is uh you know it, it breaks his mind <laughs> <laughs> yeah it really does <laughs> but yeah, so he, he goes to find the daughter. He goes to the post office where they've told him this is uh, his mother's. Uh, this is the this is Rowan M- Morrison's mother, May Morrison, and uh, he gets in there, and um, yeah, the daughter's there. She's just in the back drawing a rabbit in the back <laughs> of the back of the post office. Yeah, yeah, and it's like they have a bit of a conversation. It's like, hmm, this is this is weird. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, what happens they're next? Obsessed with, they're obsessed with hairs. That's the thing yes. about this island. <laughs> they love hairs. Yeah, they're, it's um... like the, the girl is like drawing a hair and has like named it and all of that. Yes, she says that she knows Rowan, but uh, when he inquires further, he realizes that Rowan is a hair. This kid's, this kid's yeah. talking about a rabbit, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. and then um, isn't it? Is it then that he goes to like the the tavern or bar or wherever? Yeah, yeah, he goes to the, the Green Man Tavern. Which, if I could have any prop in any movie, it's the sign for the Green Man Tavern. <laughs> <laughs> Probably um, doesn't exist anymore. I mean, who knows? Maybe someone did keep it as like a memento or something like that. Yeah, um, maybe Christopher Lee's estate has it. Maybe, maybe. 
Um, but yeah, no. So then uh, Howie gets there, and um, that's where like uh, everyone in the tavern starts like breaking out in song, and he's just standing there, just like. I am not happy with what's going on here. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, because they're singing a song called "The Landlord's Daughter," and all of these songs, by the way, are, are on an album. Uh, um, it, it's on Spotify and stuff. I, I kind of, I tend to boost the Wicker Man when I'm <laughs> in the car sometimes, because <laughs> uh, this is this is not the first song. The first song is uh, "Corn Rigs and Barley Rigs," or I don't know. They they're not named, but. Uh, it's a beautiful song. I think it might be my favorite as he's he's flying to the island. But this one yes, is yes. the first. Uh, help me out here, Sam. It's like it's a non diegetic first... or first diegetic. Ah, diegetic. I was ho- <laughs> I was hoping you would know. That. It's the first one where it's like the characters in the story are singing the song. It's not yeah. just like a, an outside voice. Uh, yeah. Ah, hold on. It's amazing how this the fact that this is a musical kind of dawns on you over the runtime because first one is just playing while he's in the plane Mm. and this second one yes everyone's breaking in the song but you know it's a pub uh you know these things yeah it's like sometimes happen in pubs i guess it makes sense yeah it just feels like kind of merriment i guess but it just keeps happening and you're like (laughs) hang on this has been like 10 tracks so far <laughs> uh yeah okay so it's the first diegetic song so first apparently diegetic. yeah non-diegetic is any sound that does not originate from within the film's world diegetic is a sound that does originate from the film's world um right so yeah um and it's like the the song that they're singing is all about um it's like uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's basically like a folk version of Promiscuous Girl, right? As far as like <laughs> what it's about. Yeah, I mean, I guess if if Promiscuous Girl is about the titular Promiscuous Girl being the human embodiment of Aphrodite, at least <laughs> in the in the eyes of the town, and um, you know. But um, the, the purpose of this song is to establish that the landlord's daughter... Uh, played by Britt Eccleston. Britt Eccleston is, um, yeah, her job within the town is essentially to sleep with everybody. So everyone slept with the with the landlord's daughter, and the landlord is there, and so is she, and they're, they're loving this song. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it establishes the relationship that Summer Isle has to sexuality, which is very, very fluid. And, uh, and also, sexuality is a part of their, you know, pagan beliefs uh, yeah. which upsets officer howie to no end <laughs> oh yeah because it. it's like you know obviously he's all about uh chastity and all that uh it's established like later on that he's uh, still a virgin yeah he's um, a virgin. and and that's necessary for what happens to him at the end hmm. uh, i do we i don't know if we spoil the movie i guess we might guess as we well would. spoil it yeah yeah no spoiler yeah. guys um if you don't want spoilers, uh, watch the movie first, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to say it? Um, oh, you can say it. He gets burned up in a big, um, big wicker man. So yeah. A big statue of a dude made out of straw. Uh, he's kind of in the head, and he's a. Uh, it turns out that this, uh, this, this 
case of the missing girl has just been a ruse to kind of lure uh, a police officer. I guess they didn't know who they were getting, which is a bit of a, a plot hole because, like, how did they know they were getting a virgin cop? I mean, yeah, it seemed as know. though, like, it seemed as but though they, they were trying to get, didn't. like, they were trying to get, like, a devout Christian virgin cop, like, by design, it seemed. Absolutely. But I guess now I'm thinking about it, they've probably addressed the letter to him. Um, you know, maybe they'd done their research on who was the uh, chief detective in which, <laughs> which um, jurisdiction. I don't know. But anyway, they they needed him to be a virgin, which is important because there's a later scene where Britt Eccleston is uh, singing a beautiful song, Willow's song. It's a very sexual scene. She's naked in the scene, and it's it's. Mm. It, you know, you, it's revealed that that was giving him an out. You know, that was giving him the ability to not be uh, a sacrifice. Yeah, it's like if he had taken her up on that offer, uh, he may have been uh, safe from that. Right. So if he was able to kind of um, maybe put humanity before his just, you know, set beliefs, or at least, at least be able to, um, if he was able to kind of you know, if he was able to see their side, see their beliefs as, as valid, I think he might have been able to survive the situation, potentially. Um, but because he is so steadfast in his belief that his values are, are correct, um, uh, then, uh, <laughs> you know, he was the perfect uh, victim for the sacrifice. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a bit of an oops moment. A bit um... of an oops moment. Yeah. Um, number one, number one tip when you're traveling is uh, you know be a, be across the local customs because if you don't, they might burn you in, in a big <laughs> big effigy. Yeah, yeah. You know, you gotta. You know, you like it's good to assimilate yourself with the culture that you're visiting. You know, getting getting touch with their culture. I say this as though I know I don't. <laughs> no, I mean we're all stuck in COVID. We can't. If, even if we wanted to be burned in a book of man we can't experience yeah, no. other cultures but I think I think as well I mean you know when we talk about cultural relativism it's not about finding it, it's cultural relativism is a theory in ethics it's not about finding ways that uh, other cultures are in fact correct when they do when bad things are done it's more about think, just finding a way that we can account for in ethics other people's beliefs. So, you know, uh, an example might be like our society has a certain way that we treat animals, but if there's another culture that uh, treat anim a certain animals separately, do we just think you're evil for the way you treat, say, a dog? Or do we think, well, you know, we see dogs as pets, but other cultures aren't going to necessarily have that social construct. And, and so, you know, it's, it's just kind of ethics being fluid over cultures. And I think that's what this, this movie is about, because I think the fact that they see Howie is so repressed and, and that he denies his own humanity and his own human sexuality, I think that, that means that he is, in their eyes, kind of already dead he's kind of like <laughs> less it, it's less of a shame that he's getting burnt up 
uh, which it doesn't make it right. But I think <laughs> that the movie gives you clues as to what maybe is their thought process. And, and maybe in their eyes, the fact that they killed him rather than Rowan Morrison, a, a, you know, a teenage girl, is, is, you know, they did the right thing. Maybe, maybe. Um, <laughs> in, their, in their eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, totally in their eyes. Um, but yeah, it's like... And then I think it's like... Isn't it like while this whole sinning thing is happening, he like, he gets so... Like he eventually just like leaves the, the place, goes outside, and then like finds this massive yard where like people are just <laughs> doing it. Just yeah. in the open, and he's just like, ah, yeah, back I go. Yeah, she's very upset by um, <laughs> this behavior. Yeah, yeah, and then eventually he's just like, ah, I've had enough. I'm going to bed, and he goes to bed, and then everyone down there, uh, still singing. Um, it's just like a different song this time. No, this song is is gently Johnny. Uh, which mm. is a song that was completely cut from the theatrical version and wasn't uh, released until we got a hold of Roger Corman's collection. Um, Roger Corman is a was a director. Uh, he directed the original Little Shop of Horrors, a few other things. He, oh. he launched the careers of um, Scorsese, uh, oh. Ron Howard... Uh, Spielberg made his first movie for Roger Corman. He's kind of a titan in film history. Sounds he like was it, yeah. A, a notorious cheapskate who <laughs> um, was just famous for uh, cutting corners at every point. I mean, if he could make a movie for negative money, he would kind of try to do that. <laughs> There's a famous case where he had he was making a movie and um, Vincent Price, he was working with Vincent Price, you know, famous horror actor. And they made the movie quickly because he was cutting all these corners. They made the movie within like 16 days. And he, you know, he, he might have had, you know, four or five weeks of shooting. So he just made a second movie straight after with the same set. He released two movies. <laughs> he was that kind of guy. So he just held on to everything because he's such a cheapskate. He doesn't, you give him something, you're not giving it back. So he had this full print of the wicker man and it was just like it, it was like a rosetta stone we're finally able to <laughs> get all this stuff back and this is the only reason that we had this song um gently johnny okay and, and this is the scene where um we kind of find out that Britt eckerson is yeah kind of a deity on the island in the eyes of the people she's kind of a um symbol of fertility okay Okay, so that was actually meant to be real life. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, like, the quality of the film, for whatever reason, it just struck me at one point as being like, oh, is he watching TV now? And then I was like, wait, no, that's that's just the quality of the film in general. Yeah, well, that makes sense, because, yeah, it was just found um, from an early print that this guy kept in his house. <laughs> So it makes sense that it was. It looks different to the rest of it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, then in that case, yeah, it's like, um, yeah, she, uh, the, uh, oh, the daughter. She's she is kind of heavily revered, um, mm. 
within that group. And I think, is it at that point that they first mention uh, like the upcoming May Day celebrations? Yes, yes. Um, and we also meet Christopher Lee uh, playing Lord yes. Summer Isle for the first time. Uh, yeah, great character. Uh, oh, it's, I mean, it's Christopher Lee, so like, oh, of yeah. course. Yeah, just awesome uh, seeing him here. Um, and yeah, he kind of explains that, that come May Day, it, it's going to be, I think he says, a more serious sacrifice. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but Howie is just too annoyed with everything that's been going on to really care about any of that stuff. He's trying. He's yeah. just he's just well, trying to get I to think... sleep, and he's hearing people just singing like underneath him, and he's like, ah. Yeah, yeah. I think he's praying. He's just like desperately trying to <laughs> trying to pray over the bed, and I think Christopher Lee says something about you know. I think he, I think he says something that he, he he's fond of animals because they don't they don't feel the need to revere old you know old versions of their kind that died thousands of years ago and they they don't see themselves as better than anyone else and you know he, he has a long monologue about and so you kind of get this sense that while maybe he um, encourages these uh, r- r- religious rituals and and beliefs he's kind of a cynic at heart christopher lee he's he's almost got kind of contempt for for everyone (laughs) and religion in particular Mm. yeah but it's like there's never really a point where he seems um like he never really seems really angry it's like he always is like very well not very but he's always like quite smiley a lot of the yeah. time and is like quite yeah. friendly with people yes he's instantly likable <laughs> yeah it's like uh it's it's nice because what was yeah no the last time i had seen christopher lee playing a character was like uh as saruman in lord of the mm. rings who is not very friendly at all no that's the thing about christopher lee and i only found this out today is that he knew J.R.R. Tolkien in his lifetime. Yeah, right. And, uh, yeah, and and he spe- and Tolkien specifically wanted him to play Gandalf. But as, as time went on, he became a Saruman. But um, that's just incredible. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. It's like he was the one guy who actually got to meet Tolkien like in real life. <laughs> oh, love yeah. Christopher Lee. Yeah, yeah. May you rest. But the, um, I think uh, the following scene from this one is this, he goes to the school the next day, I think? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, he is... goes to the school. This is a, a great scene as well, that, that we see all the boys of the town, the young boys dancing around the maypole, and we kind of get a, a sense of their beliefs because there's this song that details their religion, which is very based on uh reincarnation mm. kind of kind of saying you know from from uh a tree comes i think it's something like a tree from the tree comes a bed on from on the bed lies a man and on the man lies a woman and then from that becomes <laughs> a, a boy becomes a man who dies and then from the from the grave grows a tree and, and the whole system uh starts again so they kind of believe in this yeah this, um, this i think cycle. it's 
yeah it's like it's kind of here that we find out that yeah they kind of they believe in the idea that like when uh when you die your soul becomes like like one with nature or something like that yeah kind of like a circle of life type of thing actually now that i think about it right it's it's quite beautiful i mean this is what what i'm talking about it it could easily particularly for a movie in the 70s kind of treat uh, this um this religion as kind of backwards and contemptuous but it's quite a a beautiful idea and it's given this uh this great beautiful folk song to explain it and howie of course is upset by it and he's you know he's doing his classic what is all this and they're like well you know they, the kids they point out you believe in resurrection you believe jesus rises again and essentially he will come back again someday and uh i kind of say well look these kids find it much much easier to believe in what we're explaining here than you know the, what you believe in so hmm. um yeah kind of giving it giving it um maybe not legitimacy but at least giving it some kind of agency this this thought process hmm. but this is also where we get um a bit more of a progression into the mystery because it's like he goes to um into this school where at this point it's like it's only girls in the school because all the boys are outside uh with the maypole and all that um and he like asks them like oh have you ever uh do you know this girl uh called Rowan Morrison and it's like all of the students and the teacher are all like no no never heard of her ever um and so it's like he try he like looks through like the school records or something like that um the teacher tries to stop him but like he keeps looking through it finds uh Rowan Morrison's name like in the record somewhere which kind of confirms that she was in this school at some point and so then he's just like you're all liars <laughs> yeah he just absolutely calls these kids yeah. and then he he goes and opens up there's an empty desk which you can tell is Rowan's desk he opens up and there's a, a these horrid little children have nailed like, like a a nail into the desk and then they've attached a beetle to a string and the beetle's just going around and around in a circle yeah and, um, and the kids are all like laughing at him because i guess he's he's the beetle you know we know at the end this whole thing has been a, a ruse and as uh how he kind of goes further down the the spiral down the rabbit hole he's he's going closer to his doom um, and he was how he's free to leave this entire movie uh, they want him to leave they, they kind of i think i mean they do want to sacrifice him, so i guess they don't and they're not playing so it's a little bit like any leave but <laughs> i think the idea is meant to be you know if he would just to kind of uh stop putting his nose where it doesn't belong um he could he could be safe I mean, well yeah, cuz it's like the easiest way he could have survived the whole thing would be if he just didn't go, but like obviously yeah. he wasn't going to do that. Yeah, they give him out. Uh and I think the the out the the outs. Um you know, if this came out today, there's a lot of YouTube videos that like how to how to survive the wicker man. Yeah. And I think that it would be kind of all of the things that they give him to survive which is not being a virgin <laughs> no i think it's it's something like he has to be a willing participant so if he left if he kind of you know 
I don't know if he he just stopped kind of investigating and just went back to the mainland. All of these things are along the lines of is he able to put his own faith to the side and kind of say, well, you know, clearly I have to investigate this murder potentially, but I can't just see these people as as heathens. I can't, you know, I can't. Um, he, I mean, because he investigates it. I think this becomes very personal for how he starts off. This is just any kind of routine investigation, but by the end, he's more upset about this, you know, pagan practice than he is about the girl. I think he even says to Lord Summerisle, "I'm going to come here with reinforcements, and you know, we're going to inve- we're going to investigate this debauchery that is happening here." <laughs> he's not worried about the girl. He's worried about the fact that they're kind of there's this. Uh, overt sexual expression and, and you know okay. okay well you know what actually now that you mentioned that I suppose that's kind of one I guess like one like pretty huge thematic change then uh, between this version and the remake because I haven't seen the remake I've just seen a review of it but I also saw like an article kind of looking at the differences between the two and it's like in the remake uh the police officer who's played by uh, Nick Cage in the remake, um, the girl that goes missing is actually his daughter. Mm. So it's like he has a much more personal stake to it, like right from the get-go. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think from what I've heard in that in that remake, they take out the entire religious aspect to it, really. I, I don't think that Nick Cage is is particularly conservative he's, yeah no um I... He's, he, and and i don't think the people on the island they're not even really pagans they're kind of in this from what i've heard they kind of have this weird made up matriarchal society or, or something i don't know maybe we well, have I to think, look at that well, i think uh like the main change was like um so it's like in the original it's all like set in an island that's like uh like off the coast of Scotland or something like that whereas uh, the remake has it that it's like a co- it's like an island off the coast somewhere in America and obviously because like paganism was never really a huge thing in America as much as it was in like the British Isles and that uh, they were like well we can't really use paganism so they decided to have it kind of more reminiscent to like the the Salem witch trials and so this island is like a society of like uh, I guess like uh, witch believers or people who like kind of follow that type of uh, belief I'm not sure whether it's uh, whether it's completely made up or if it is based on all of that stuff but now that I think about it, the Salem witch trials were all about um, just like it wasn't really like a cult or anything like that, was it? Uh, yeah, it was kind of a mass delusion. <laughs> or, yeah, uh, I mean, I suppose it was almost like cult-like mentality. Uh, within witches. Uh, well, I think kind of in the sense that. Um, you know, I mean, you have to have some kind of, um, it's almost like a cult mentality in the sense that, 
they were able to point to some woman and be like, you know, she she's a harlot. Let's burn her at the stake. Like there has to be some expression <laughs> of um of everyone ramping each other up to, to oh. get to that point. Like within the accusers, not so much the pe- the accusees. Is that what you're saying? Sorry, I lost you there for a second. Sorry. Oh, I, I, sorry, I lost you. I've, I've been kind of dropping out for the last couple of seconds, just trying to piece <laughs> what you've been saying. And then oh, I just sh- made some ridiculous points. Oh, um, oh, so were you saying that it was like this type of mentality was more within the accusers in the Salem witch trials, not the accusees? Yes, yes. Oh, with, okay. Uh, with the accusers. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I kind of missed your point, I guess. Um... Yeah, nah, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I, can't, I can't see how that remake gets anywhere near what I like about this. It, it kind of seems like every take that you could have on... Uh, the Wicker Man, they kind of went the wrong way. Hmm. I mean, <laughs> maybe. Maybe, uh, like, if I actually watched the remake now, I would kind of have a more informed idea on, like, uh, yeah. the differences and all that. Yeah, I'm interested to watch it. And there's also a uh, semi-sequel to this movie. Um Oh, really? Made by the, yeah, written and directed by the director, Robin Hardy. Um, I think, I believe it's called The Wicked Tree. And Christopher Lee is in it, but I think he's not named in the movie. I think he's called, like, The Old Man or something. But a character very, uh, very similar to, to who he's playing in The Wicked Man. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, um, it seems as though it's like, uh, it's all like different characters and all that. It's looking like, uh, the leader of this group is, uh, this guy called Sir Lachlan something, uh, played by Graham McTavish. Yeah, yeah, I I think it's one of those things where, or maybe a spiritual sequel where it's, it's, um... Maybe. You know, if you were think you could extrapolate that this is in the future for some while, but it's also, it's not explicitly said, as far as I'm from what I've heard. But I, I know he also wanted to make a, a third, complete the trilogy. Oh. And, uh, he tried to, this is Robin Hardy, tried to get um, crowdfunding for it. <laughs> I don't think he, he got it. I think it just, just failed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> making what like one of the classic cult horror films and just not being able to fund the third one yeah no oh. yeah it sucks yeah um but actually just briefly going back to what you were talking about before about people who have lately been making like you know, videos on youtube on like here's how you would survive this movie and all of that kind of stuff it yeah. just all reminds me of um this uh this uh this thing that I had heard about uh, Shakespearean tragedies, because I know a lot of the time, a lot of Shakespeare tragedies get criticized as being like, oh, if this character had just done this differently, uh, everything would be fine. And it was like the person who was talking about it had mentioned that it's like the point of like a good tragedy is that like 
um, there are like several instances where like, yes, the main character could have totally ended up better off if they just made a different decision, but like they've been characterized so well that you would know that they would never make that decision. Yeah, yeah, I think in, in Shakespearean terms, the character acts from a fatal flaw, right? They've mm. got this, they've got this uh, personality flaw that, um, yeah, of course they, they could get a better outcome, but there's just something in them that just prevents them from doing that. And I guess in The Wicker Man, how he's fatal flaw is that he's he just sees his uh, values as superior yeah yeah and it's like he's very uh he's very unflinching mm. in uh yeah, and very critical very, yeah very critical yeah he's very very critical yeah about it all um yeah. but yeah like uh they actually used a comparison that was like if uh if hamlet and othello were to like switch places uh, so they were put in like different situations, like they were put in each other's situation. Uh, Othello probably would have just killed Claudius immediately, which would have been better for everyone then. Um, meanwhile, Hamlet would have like, he could have possibly like outsmarted Iago or like found a way to like uh, kind of trip him up, or at the very least, he certainly wouldn't have acted as impulsively as Othello would have. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting way of thinking about it. Yeah, no, um, I thought that then, that was a pretty interesting take when I'd read it. But those characters, um, you know, they have their own flaws that who knows what, what machinations that would have in those situations, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, Shakespeare's but, what if. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> it sounds like something, a Spark Notes original. It's like something <laughs> trying to connect to high school kids. And it's like, oh boy, oh boy. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so then, um, yeah, so it's like, um, Howie has like that conversation with the teacher where uh, they, f- where like we find out about their like difference of beliefs how they kind of believe more in like uh like reincarnation as opposed to resurrection uh, and all of that stuff and then i forget what actually happens to like get howie to like the next scene uh in like the graveyard i think it was yeah yeah there's a, there's a lot of cuts in this where he's just suddenly on a horse and cart just going somewhere else on the <laughs> island but they're all very pretty uh, shots of um, cherry blossoms and um, oh yeah, of course, you know, beautiful flowers and stuff. Um, yeah, but he's in the graveyard, and this is like the last bastion of of Christianity on the island. It's, it's all of their Christian graves have just been kind of put in this little um, this little cemetery because the island w- was Christian before um, somewhere else great-grandfather i mean the, the the pagan gods even though they go back so many thousands of years they're they're relatively it's relatively recently that they've been reinvigorated um, for this purpose of cultivating fruit so they have these christian influences but they've just the graves are just dilapidated and um how he finds that very offensive <laughs> yeah no i think 
Yeah, it's like there's a bit where it's like he sees like a woman that's just uh, breastfeeding openly yeah, in the graveyard. And she's holding an egg. <laughs> Wait, is she? Uh, yeah, she's holding an oh. egg in one hand and she's breastfeeding in the other. And it's like, I guess the egg is a sign of, um, you know, fertility and renewal. But that that's one in this that I, do, I don't really, <laughs> I have no idea why that is. It's a little bit weird, but... You know. Yeah, but then it's like, isn't it like he finds this one grave and he like, doesn't it like he like makes like his own uh, crucifix cross and like puts it on it or something like that? Yeah, he breaks some wood and puts a little cross there and yeah, you know, and it's like the woman is. sees the whole thing and is just like, what the heck's going on here? <laughs> yeah, well that's the thing about the woman holding the egg. In retrospect, when we know that this is all for Bruce, all of those little things, the same as the kid with the beetle. They can all just kind of be explained as just they're just trying to freak him out. Yeah. <laughs> they're just trying to piss him off just by having like oh yeah creeps around the island. Oh yeah, there's like one point like later on in the movie where I'm just like, what what were you doing there? He's trying to get in his head. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he makes a little crucifix and he has a look on his face of like, how, you know, how good am I? <laughs> you know, <laughs> he looks very proud of what he's done and. Mm. Uh, and, uh, but before he makes that crucifix, there's an important shot where on this grave are these baskets of apples. And this is a storyline we haven't kind of touched on, is that when he gets to the island, uh, obviously island renowned for their fruit, he goes to the pub and oh, he wants to get a yeah. meal and he gets these horrible looking blue kidney beans from a can. Mm. And uh, but Neil just looks disgusting. Like it, <laughs> it looks like what you'd probably get in a pub in England. Probably not that <laughs> out of line with that. But um, and then he asks for dessert, and they, they give him peaches in a can. He's like, hang on, hang on. I've heard so much about your fruit. You know, I want an apple. I think he actually asks for an apple for dessert. Yeah, and, I think he uh, does. You better really explain. You better really explain it to him. But they just say kind of, oh, you know, this. this We've exported all the fruit, I think they say, and creating this horrible off food from cans. And he also <laughs> sees that for every year at the May Day harvest, there are these photos of a girl surrounded by these bountiful uh, buckets, wicken baskets of, of fruit. And mm. uh, there is no picture from 1972. It's broken. So that's yeah. Kind of, kind of part of it and so when he goes this way we see there's fruit in these baskets kind of being left as a, an offering I guess but they're just rotted and, and there's not much of it um, so he's starting to get the sense that maybe things aren't so good uh, as far as the, the harvest goes on summer hmm. yeah and then um, yeah so then I think there he he finds uh, a gravestone that is uh, meant for Rowan Morrison, the alleged missing girl. And then it's like, is it then that he digs it up, or is that like later on? No, no. I guess I guess this is the in, the scene in between those two things. Is he he has to go to Lord Summer Isle? Uh, oh, right. For permission, because Lord Summer Isle is a, a justice of the peace on the on the island, and so. Um, yeah, it's quite fun, quite a funny scene of him having to go to Lord Summer Island. And, he, you know, he's disgusted by everything he's saying, but he's like, you know, can I, 
Can I dig up the grave? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, it's like he get. It's like he has to go through a bunch of people. It's just like, oh, it's like, oh, you you need permission from Lord Samurai to do that. And it's like, yes, I'm asking for permission right now. And it's like, ah. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he goes to before that. He, I think he goes to. I don't know. I don't even know where he is. He's trying <laughs> to get some records on Rowan Morrison, and there's a woman that says. You need to talk to Lord Summerall, and she pulls out a can of gross-looking peaches and cream or something, and starts eating <laughs> it. So, you know, by this point, we're like, "Hang on, I haven't seen a fruit this entire time." And uh, and then um, he also goes back to the post office where the lady is making a little girl eat a live frog. Yes, yeah, as like yeah, some form of medicine. Yeah, which is like. You know, you had a sore throat, but put this in your mouth for a few <laughs> seconds. And the frog's got your sore throat. Clearly, can't you hear it croaking? Mm. Like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it's like how he's there the whole time. And he's just like, um... Yeah. Yep. Okay, so I reckon this will be uh, a good point to stop, uh, stop uh, part one of this episode um just uh just because been talking for a bit and i do i like i don't know i kind of prefer to keep the videos like a little bit short i know that i have kind of broken that rule a few times but uh but regardless um yeah uh we shall yeah matt and i shall see you guys uh, next time for uh, part two. Part two. Um, we haven't recorded it yet. Who knows? What yeah, no, say. totally haven't recorded it yet. But uh, yeah, I guess you'll have to find out next time. Um, yeah, until then, have a good one, guys. Yeah, have a good one.